companies make the mistake of saying our our goal is simplification and the goal is not simplification simplification is a means to an end the goal is to satisfy our customers be more profitable increase our revenue uh, introduce new products more quickly Wh whatever it is that's the that's the goal it's got to be a business goal and simplification has to be in the service of a business goal Welcome to Work Matters, where we explore what leaders can do to make work more productive, valuable, meaningful, and impactful. I am your host, Thomas Bertels. In today's installment of the Work Matters podcast, we talk about simplifying organizations, and my guest is Ron Ashkenaz. Ron is a longtime thought leader in organizational change and transformation. He is the principal at Ashkenaz Consulting and a partner emeritus at Schaefer Consulting. And he is the author of numerous books and HBR articles, including Simply Effective. In our conversation, we explore what are the signs that an organization has become too complex and has arrived to be simplified? How can you go about simplifying an organization? What are the typical obstacles and how do you overcome them? And what can leaders do to create a culture where simplification is part of the organization's DNA? I hope you enjoy this conversation. Ron Ashkenaz, welcome to Work Matters. Oh, hello, Thomas. Pleasure to be here. So you've been writing about simplifying organizations um, for a long time. You have a, a couple of books and, and, and HBR articles on the topic. So from, from your vantage point, like what are some signs that, that tell a leader that the organization has become too complex and, and, and needs to be simplified? Well, actually, I think most leaders know it, at least intuitively. Uh, it's when they or their people feel like they're working harder and harder and harder and not necessarily getting a whole lot done. I don't know if uh, you've ever experienced at the end of the day, you say, boy, that was a tough day. I really got, a, I really worked really, really hard. And then you say, well, what did I actually accomplish today? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, so that's one of the signs. The, the other is when you do get stuff done, you say, you know, that that shouldn't have taken as long. It shouldn't have been so difficult. Why did I have to go through so many steps? Why were there so many people involved? Another sign is just going to a meeting and saying, why was I here? What was this meeting about? Why, why did we do this? Why were there so many people there? What's going to come out of this? Asking all those questions are usually signs of complexity of various kinds. And, and obviously, in those cases, right, complexity is bad, right? So, so how do you actually go about simplifying the organization, right? I mean, a lot of this is obviously the result of decisions that, that were made in the past, right? They're just not naturally right, got complicated. People made it complicated. How do you, how do you undo it? But just before I, I answer that, just a, an implication of your comment is that there is some complexity that's good. There's good complexity and bad complexity. And the good complexity are the things that make your organization unique and different and that nobody else can really copy you. What's the secret sauce, the way of working you have, which may not be obvious to others, but is unique to you. You just have to make sure that doesn't veer into unproductive complexity that, that reduces people's effectiveness and ability. And, and in terms of being able to simplify, um, Number one is it, it's, it's like uh, any problem, you have to admit you have one. So I, I often say, ask people to you know, ra raise your hand and say, uh, my name is Ron and I create complexity. 
Now, you don't say Ron, say your own name. But uh, I think that's the number one step for leaders is to say that they are complicit in creating complexity and then to look at the different sources of it. Uh, some of it is their own behavior, and we can get into that. Some of it is the way the organization is structured, um, different level levels, layers, the way it's put together. A third is process complexity, and I think most people are aware of that when it takes too many steps to get to get things done, and there's too many people involved. And the fourth is what I call product proliferation, which is many, many products um, that all take equal amount of time and effort, but have varying degrees of either acceptance by customers, uh, fulfilling needs of customers. And it's not just products, it's also services. So the way services are provided, do we do them in standardized ways, more or less, or is everything unique? Um, and there's there needs to be the right balance there. So th those are the four sources of complexity, behavior, structure, process, and product. And so how do you actually uh, tackle those, right? And, and, and what's the role of the leader in, in tackling those? Is that something that can be delegated to a task force, or is that something where where leaders need to roll up their sleeves and, and get their hands dirty? Well, I think with almost the same as with anything in leadership, leaders have to be engaged and involved, et cetera. It doesn't mean leaders have to be spending full time on this, but they do have to sort of make the demand and make the, the, the requirement and the expectation of we've got to make this place simpler. And they can assign different parts of it to different uh, parts of their organization. There are some things that only they can do. Uh, changing the organization structure, while many people will see it needs to be changed, it's only the the leader either of a unit or of a division or of the, the larger organization that can actually do it. They still have to engage others in making that happen and making sure they're not just reorganizing for the sake of reorganizing. But that's something that senior leaders need to do. Decisions about um, eliminating products or reducing numbers of products or de-emphasizing some products. Those are things that leaders, they can do on their own, but they probably should do it with others. But that certainly takes a certain amount of leadership authority to do that. Uh, process improvement, leaders can set the stage. They can make the expectation. They can look for results. They can you know, be part of the process, but they don't have to do it all. And behavior is something that everybody has to do. And that's where leaders have to look at themselves and see to what extent are they what I call complexifiers or are they simplifiers? Are they creating complexity in the way they work or are they simplifying and being a model for others in simplification? So so you've worked with a lot of organizations on this topic, right? Can you maybe, I don't know, share one or two examples for companies that made really great strides in, in, in simplifying their organization? To name names, I have to go go back in, in history a, a bit, since uh, you know, I've, I've written about some companies. Uh, so these have been sort of approved years ago, but the companies are have have changed since I've written about them. So I'll I'll give the example of Conagra Foods, which is now Conagra Brands. But this was a process started about 20 years ago and continued. Worked with the CEO for almost 10 years in the in the continual simplification of the company, both of its structure, its product, its processes, its behavior, its whole culture. Um, and, and that has continued as the company has changed 
since then, uh, although it's uh, it's now called Conagra Brands and has a in many ways a simpler focus than it had at the time. But but when this process started with Conagra, uh, Conagra had been a basically a holding company. It had bought many many brands, well-known consumer packaged food brands, frozen food brands, etc. And basically the company, while some of them doing well, others not doing well, and the company was overall making money by, by selling off brands, selling some brands, buying new brands, basically treating it as a holding, holding company and adding it up at the end of the day. And when Gary Rodkin became CEO about uh, 2005, I believe, he looked and said, this is unsustainable. Uh, we can't keep selling and buying and it's just creating amazing amounts of complexity and we're not operating this as an, as, a, as an integrated company. So he set the goal from the top of saying we need to go from a, a holding company to an integrated operating company. So at the time, 100 plus brands all had their own sales forces and supply chains and IT groups and finance, etc. Uh, it made it... You know, there was a huge amount of extra cost in that, but also very difficult to do comparisons of which brands are doing well, which products are doing well. And customers were confused. I mean, there would be multiple Conagra salespeople uh, going to the same customer, going to a, a Walmart or, a, or a, a major food store. So he, he had the idea of let's, let's try to make this an integrated company. Uh, one of the first things he did was uh, they put in place a, an enterprise reporting system for finance so that everybody would be looking at the same numbers in the same ways. And they spent, uh, I think, millions of dollars putting this in place and then realized they still weren't getting an integrated set of numbers because every one of the brands and every one of the divisions was counting things in different ways. They were counting some by by. Uh, individual units like a can of a particular food, some by cartons, some by pallets, some were using kilograms, some were using pounds. I mean, there was just it was all over the place. And when you do that, you you can't do any kind of integration. And they had needed almost, even though they had spent millions of dollars on the enterprise reporting system, they were still spending a, you know, like an army of finance people to try to put together and close the books and have it make some sense. So I remember one of the first things uh, that uh, Gary did, and we helped Gary do, was took the head of finance from every one of the divisions, so there were about 20 to 30 people, and brought them all to Omaha, Nebraska, which was the headquarters at the time, put them in a room, gave them some food, and basically didn't let them out until they had all come to common agreement about what are the metrics and measures that we're going to use to run this company. And for some of them, it will mean, you know, making some major changes in how they do their uh, financial work and how they count things. It has implications for supply chain and everything else. <clears throat> for others, it was only modest changes. And for others, it was, okay, we do it this way and others should do it the same way. Uh, and he told them, look, I'll give you, you stay in here for a couple of days. If you don't come out with the, with a common set of measures and metrics, 
uh, I'm going to do it for you. And probably nobody will be happy that way because I don't know it nearly as well as any of you. And lo and behold, at the end of about a day and a half, they had come up with a pretty good set of common ways of measuring things. Uh, now, obviously, it took a while to implement that, put that in place. There had to be tweaks in it as they went through it. Uh, it wasn't easy for all of the divisions to make the changes. But within the next six months to a year, all of a sudden, they had common set of numbers, uh, a single set of uh, a truth. And they were able to make real comparisons about what was selling, what was profitable, what was not profitable, what customers liked, where, where things sold and where they didn't sell. Uh, and, and that just created a whole set of strategic opportunities for the company to do things more effectively. So that, that was just one sort of one example, and that's mostly on a combination of structure and process. Uh, but it, it was very powerful at the time and really showed me at the time, although I had seen this in other companies, particularly GE with the Jack Welch days, it seemed that it, it's possible if you really focus on this to make a huge difference in the way a company is run. Yeah, I can, I can 100% agree. I remember I started my career at Azia Brown Bavaria in a division that had uh, 90,000 part numbers and was barely breaking even. And, you know, that's this idea of, right, skew rationalization and we ended up with something like 900 part numbers and uh, it was incredible i mean the the impact on profitability was 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 really um staggering but it's also a really hard thing to do right well that that's a good example of product proliferation um product services and uh, unique combinations of products uh, what one example i had in my book was the herman miller company that makes the the, the chairs, office chairs, and their flagship product at one time, uh, while it was a it was a bestseller and a, and a, and a great product, uh, they the marketing people and the salespeople thought they should do all kinds of variations to be able to help their customers get the unique configuration of chair that they wanted. So different materials, different tensile strength of the of the steel different uh, kinds of fabrics, uh, all, all sorts of things. And for some reason, they realized that uh, the product was, while the, the sales volume was going up, the profitability was not going up. So they went back, a new product manager came in and took a look at this and realized that with all the permutations and combinations of chairs that they were offering customers, Basically, they were saying to customers, we can make a million different variations of this, which wrecked havoc on their supply chain, manufacturing, inventory, etc. So she went back and did the analysis of, you know, what are most customers buying? And obviously, it's the 80-20 that 80% uh, of customers, you know, or 80% of the kinds of chairs and configurations were the vast majority and they were able to eliminate the things that hardly anybody was buying. Um, you know, they disappointed a few customers here and there, but their profitability went way up. And the whole simplification of their supply chain and inventory management, et cetera. So I, and I think almost every company has variations on that. But it's not just the major products. It's also look at services. 
worked with, for example, finance functions that in, in the spirit of trying to be helpful to all of the divisions, will put together reports in a way that are unique just for that division or for that, um, that location or for that plant to help them in their unique way. And what it means is you end up with an army of people in the finance organization creating unique reports and doing unique analyses for everybody, which is crazy. Uh, so again, it, it, functional leaders need to also take a look at what are the common standards that we need to do for everybody. And yes, of course, there will always be a few things that we should do special if it warrants it. But we can't have the mentality of we'll do anything for anybody in any way that they want it. Now, this, that's just no way to run a company or a function. I mean, obviously, there are huge benefits, right, to simplifying. I've seen it. You've seen it. Right? Plenty of companies uh, experiencing it. But it's also really hard. Uh, in, in your view, what are the typical obstacles and, and how do you get over them? One thing is that uh, a lot of times companies make the mistake of saying our, our goal is simplification. And the goal is not simplification. Simplification is a means to an end. The goal is to satisfy our customers, be more profitable, increase our revenue, uh, introduce new products more quickly. Wh whatever it is, that's the that's the goal. It's got to be a business goal, and simplification has to be in the service of a business goal. So that's one obstacle. Is you know, if you go out and tell a bunch of people do things more simply, um, they say, okay, yeah, that I mean, that makes sense. That sounds good, but we have our business goals we have to reach and those will always be priority and they don't necessarily see the connection between the two. So that's one obstacle. Um, the second is some of these changes are hard as you know like any kind of process changes, changes in workflow to make things as you call it more joyful. Simple is it's not easy. It takes a certain amount of, uh, of dedication and people stepping back and for some people it's threatening because it may either change the way they do their job or maybe even threaten their job. Uh, so that that's a, a, another obstacle. And the third is that many leaders themselves are, as I said before, creators of complexity, often on, unintentionally and unconsciously. I, I don't think anybody gets up in the morning and says, my job today is to make my organization as complex as possible and make it really difficult for everybody to get things done. But unintentionally and unconsciously, they do that, um, sometimes by sort of overdoing things like we want to have everybody involved and engaged. So instead of actually making a decision that, you know, pretty much everybody would agree with and is needed, they spend overly huge amounts of time just checking in. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Trying to get consensus till they get 100% agreement. And as you know, we never get 100% agreement. So leaders have to sometimes sort of make tough decisions and say, well, let's do it this way. Uh, you, you don't want to involve everybody in every decision in every meeting. There's just all sorts of things that leaders do unintentionally and unconsciously. And sometimes consciously, I've seen that probably you've seen leaders who give the same assignment to two or three people say, let's see how they come up with it differently. And they don't tell the people they've done that. And then they bump in, these people bump into each other and realize they're doing the same thing and then start competing. And sometimes you get a better answer, but most of the time you just create a lot of complexity. 
I mean, this is obviously like a, a an ongoing topic, right? You mentioned Conagra; I've been at it for right, a decade plus, right? Um, so they really had the, the the standing power and the stamina to to really pursue that to the end. But a lot of organizations or a lot of leaders look at this more as like a time-bound initiative, right? Let's start a simplification initiative. I think Mark Zuckerberg is doing something, right, at, at Meta, where he says this is the year of right simplicity, right? We're gonna we're gonna become simple. Um, that obviously runs the risk that once the year's over, all these things come come back up, right? Uh, how can you go beyond like a time-bound initiative and, and really make this part of the company's DNA? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a difficult question for anything. Is how to build it into the culture and make it part. of Jack, Jack Welch many many years ago used to say that um, complexity is like weeds in the garden. You know, you pull them out, the garden looks great, but they're going to grow back again if you don't keep at it. Uh, what I've seen some companies do is that there's Maybe once a year or every couple of years, there's a bit of a campaign. It's like, we'll, we'll do spring cleaning. You know, let's clean out the stuff in the attic because, you know, we do over time, uh, complexity gets accretive. You know, we add a little step here because it made sense at one time. And over time, that becomes sort of established. And then we add another step. And every once in a while, step back and do that and step back and say, how can we simplify? So that's almost like a, a campaign every once in a while. The other is to build it into performance improvements, per, I mean, performance uh, assessment of people to say that, you know, to what extent are you running your division, your unit, your plant, your location in a way that's as simple as possible? And when you get feedback from the teams, you know, is, is, it, is it difficult to get things done? Or does it take too many steps? What do you think? Um, there are surveys that can be conducted every once in a while. Um, we've done this with many companies over the years is uh, give them a survey and you get feedback. And you know, like anything, if you see the data and you realize people are experiencing complexity, it spurs you into saying, you know, we need to now get, get back to this. Uh, but it, it really does need to be built into the culture and people have to be reminded that this is something that needs to be dealt with on a, on a regular basis, at least periodically, if not all the time. I guess there's also like the risk of doing too much of a good thing, oversimplifying things like the, right, the Henry Ford Model T, you can have any color as long as it's black, right? Uh, have you seen also leaders fall into that trap that you just push it too far and, and you oversimplify things? I actually have not seen that. Uh, in there, I mean, the, the current version of uh, the Henry Ford one is uh, Aldi or Trader Joe's. I mean, one of the reasons why they're so, so tend to be successful and profitable among grocery chains is that they limit the number of products that are in the stores and say, if, you know, we won't have 10 different kinds of orange juice. We'll only have two or three. You know, we'll have a high end. We'll have something that's a little more modest of something that's low end. They all have to be good, certain quality. They limit the numbers. Uh, and I, I think customers respond to that because customers, in many cases, want less choice rather than more choice. Uh, so I haven't seen too much simplicity. Uh, I, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's possible and you can uh, have your customers be a little bit 
outraged or angry because they can't get what they want. Um, but most companies, you know, if the customers really make it clear that they want something else or something in additional or a variation on a product, companies will do that. I mean, there's this sort of the larger topic of right, she, right? It gets hard to get things done, right? As you said earlier, right? The science of, of that one needs to look at this. But, but what's in it for the leaders? Well, what, what's in it for the leaders is going back to my original point that simplicity and simplification is not an end in itself. This is a way to make the company more effective, get better results, delight the customers, have employees that feel like they're really feeling, being successful and getting things done and feeling good about their work. But it, it's also a, a, a more joyful way of running a company where leaders also want to come home at the end of the day and say, wow, I really got some things done today and I feel really good about what we're doing. And it was, it was really nice to see that we, we set out a goal and we achieved it. Uh, leaders want to feel that way too. Uh, so I, I think that that's what's in it for leaders. And it's also, I mean, the really good leaders want to develop other leaders underneath them and around them and develop a team of leaders. And if they can simplify and show that they're simplifiers and not complexifiers, it can help to develop others, give people space to do things more creatively so they're not you know, caught up in the bureaucracy and the red tape and they can't. But it, it gives people time to think and to breathe and to be creative about how do we make things happen and delight our customers. Do you think there's also like a connection to it's like decentralized management. I, I mean, I, like in general, there seems to be like the trend that, you know, decision-making gets more concentrated at the top. And that creates also a lot of complexity, right? If everything has to come together at the top. Is decentralization like a, a, a potential antidote uh, against the complexity? There's no one-size-fits-all. And I think it's to how to find the right balance. Um, Conagra, at the beginning, was completely decentralized. You know, 100 brands, which are basically operating as autonomous little companies, all doing their own things in their own way, completely decentralized. That was total complexity and an inability to run it as a single company. If they had gone the other way and saying, okay, everything has to be centralized at the top, that would have created complexity as well, because there's no way that, you know, a few people, leaders in Omaha, Nebraska would know you know, what was good for customers in all parts of the country on all products. So it, it's a question, and I've seen this in almost all companies, of how do you decide what things to centralize and what things to decentralize? And it's usually not all of one or all of the other. So uh, uh, often finance needs to be done in a reasonably centralized way, although every unit needs its finance director and leader and has to have you know close access to their numbers they have to be done consistently with the other units other divisions other locations uh, so that has to be uh, to a great degree centralized uh, even though there's dedicated resources to each of the units same thing with human resources uh, it's it's good to have a, a common way of doing performance assessment training and development and and you don't need to have recruitment divisions 
recruitment people in every part of the company. That a lot of that can be either outsourced or centralized. Um, but there are other things that uh, sales. It, it sometimes there's a tendency to have uh, you know one common sales force try to sell everything, and depending on the range of products and services in the company, that often doesn't work. Yes, they need to talk to each other. Yes, they need to share information about customers, but it needs to be done in a way that they're as close to the customers as possible. So again, it, it's a matter of, of finding the right balance and the right scale. So startups, right? That's like, I guess, on the other end of this uh, spectrum, right? Because they're oftentimes focused to keep things simple. They don't have the resources, right? They can't afford unnecessary complexity, right? So if you're a startup and, and, and you grow, right, how do you how do you keep it simple and, and avoid, like, right, as you say, right, the weeds of complexity coming out? Yeah, startups are interesting because there's there's usually a point when a startup is starting to be successful and grows from just a few people to, let's say, 100 people. There's a, it's almost like at a, around 100 people is when they start to hit the complexity wall. And it's no longer possible to involve everything in every, everybody in everything. It's no longer possible to have complete consensus decision-making. And you have to start creating some sort of structures, you know, a leadership team, uh, different assignments for different people, focus and priorities. You can't do everything. Uh, and, and that's often, I, I think there's a, a lot of research that founders often don't make it past the, the stage of rapid growth because they, they're, they're not cut out for the kind of disciplined clarity of leadership that's needed as you grow and you get beyond make it non-bureaucratic and clear. Uh, so startups have that, that growth problem. Now, at the same time, I, and I work with many startups, they all say, we want to retain the spirit of the startup that we had, where everybody feels a real stake in the company and we'll jump in and we'll help each other when, when needed. And it's really hard to find that balance as you get bigger and bigger. Uh, I, I've been working with, with one not too long ago where uh, the, the, the leader still wants to be involved in almost everything and walks around and because, you know, it's great to walk around and, and then casually gives suggestions to people. Oh, yeah, that's, here's another way to do that. But their manager and their manager's manager doesn't know that they've been given new suggestions. And that creates a certain amount of actually creates a lot of complexity because people go off doing things that others don't know that they're doing and may or may not work. So the leaders have to begin to change themselves to not unintentionally create complexity as a, as a startup gets bigger, but at the same time kind of retain that, that spirit of we want to be involved and we want everybody to feel a stake in the company. Listen, Ron, thank you so much for taking the time to, to share right, your, your view and your experience on, on simplification and, and, and fighting complexity. I uh, really appreciate you coming onto the show today. Thank you so much. Well, it's been my pleasure. Fun talking about it. And uh, I think everything you've been doing with, uh, with your new book and, and all the work you're doing 
is is all about simplicity as well and making work simpler and therefore more joyful. So good luck with that. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe, like, share, or comment. Until next time, let's make work matter.